This is Let's Talk Business with your host, Mark Ebinger. Now, here's Mark. Welcome to Let's Talk Business, the show that highlights and promotes entrepreneurs to learn more about their vision, goals, and marketing strategy. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk about building a roofing business from the ground up. We're also going to talk about the Restoring Our Community Scholarship by Texas A&M University, San Antonio, and we have the first recipient of that scholarship right here in the studio, so we're, we'll bring him in a little bit. Uh, excited to have you here, Obed, as well. In studio with us today is Caleb Parks, the owner of Trident Roofing. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We also have Clarissa Tejeda, the Director of Employer Relations and Community Outreach at Texas A&M University, San Antonio. Clarissa, short notice, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great conversation I know we will have. Yeah, you had to fill in for Xavier, who broke his arm. You know, Xavier doing big things out there, but we're always happy. pro has been a wonderful partner, so we're even just thrilled at the invite to be featured today. Yeah, it was really cool for him to show up, yeah. you know, be here, do that handoff. Uh, showed a lot of responsibility, but that's what we would expect mm-hmm. from Xavier. So excited to have you here, Clarissa. I'm your host, Mark Ebinger, the owner of Kruger's Virtual Staffing, a company that specializes in hiring virtual assistants from outside the United States. And my name is Kirby Caden. I'll be your co-host. I am a business coach. Been doing that for about 15 years. I focus my work on sales, sales management, the customer journey as they do business with you. And I also have a business called Sales Pro Selection System, which is an educational course that you can do fully online on how to hire outstanding salespeople. Excellent. Everybody can use more sales. I always say that. Would you agree with that? <laughs> couldn't, couldn't agree more. Right. I mean, they're the hardest commodity to come by, I feel, in today's market. You're oh, right. Commodity. I like yeah. that. He's right. <laughs> He's right. right. Excuse me. A quick reminder to follow the Let's Talk Business podcast on all major podcast platforms and social media where you can catch video and podcast versions of the show. You can visit our website at satalkradio.com and get to everything from there. So speaking of uh, the podcast, Kirby, we had a mixer that we did last week. Um, What did you think of the uh, first inaugural Podcast mixer. Yeah, Mark, it was uh, about the most unexpectedly outstanding experience that I have had. This was the inaugural event. We hoped to have sold 100 tickets. There were about 170 people there. And one of the great values of that was that everybody met somebody they had never met before because of the focus of the experience and the way that you programmed it, Mark, I thought you did an exceptional job. And for people that missed this one, we'll have another one coming up uh, in second quarter. I encourage everybody to be a part of that, uh, help grow your business and meet some great influencers. Yeah, I felt like, you know, as the host of the event, it's like if you didn't go away with some business connections that could help you, I felt like I didn't do my job. So yeah, really, that was the vibe of the whole event was making sure that people could make connections. And they did. Everybody said that. You did your job. You were amazing. And I think everybody got a lot out of it. And um, we should probably increase the ticket price. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Halloween will allow that. But oh, okay. <laughs> at any rate, um, so first up on the show is uh, Caleb Parks, the owner of Trident Roofing. And Caleb, I'm excited to have you on the show. I know you're very active on social media, uh, which is a great way for the younger generation to push that out. But I say younger generation. How old are you? Anyway? Uh, I'm 24. Okay, well, wow. Yeah, so definitely part of that younger generation. Um, social media has been a great tool for me. Over the last few years, it really started as like a, a push to try to be a little bit more artistic. I'm not much of a writer, not much of a painter. thought it was a skill that I lacked in. So I looked at video, and I started editing videos and started putting a bunch of stuff on social media. 
it has opened so many doors for me in my career over the last three years, and I'm not what I would consider an influencer or somebody who's maybe all of their eggs are in that basket. I've got a lot of other things going on, but even just trying to make an attempt to post something every day will open tons of doors in your career, whether it's it's gotten me job opportunities, it's gotten me public speaking opportunities, um, and it's kind of led the way to me being able to start Trident, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's a lesson to everybody, Caleb. You have been, this has been your medium, your channel, the way that you communicate and the way that you like to uh, do outreach. And for anybody in business that's not doing that, they are missing a terrific opportunity. So uh, a terrific lesson from a 24-year-old, I think that's that's really important. If I can add to it, I look at social media a lot like you look at a billboard. It's just like constantly putting something out there and right. you constantly get eyes on it. There may not be an immediate ROI on it, but branding is huge. It's super important. And uh, in my case, I can say that a lot of people would prefer to follow a person versus a company. So having your own personal brand with tied into your company, I think, gives you a lot of eyeballs. That's, That's what we do here. I mean, it's all about uh, personal branding constantly. And it, it works because people get feel like they know you and trust you and like you, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. So, Caleb, you are a young man. You've worked at uh, multiple roofing companies. What gave you the courage to reach out there and become an entrepreneur yourself? So I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. In fact, my, my story probably starts way earlier than most. I mean, it started with knocking doors when I was 13 and mowing yards and doing that from basically 13 until I could get what wow. we would qualify as a real job, you know, like a W-2 <laughs> kind of thing going on. Um, and then I fell into the roofing industry on accident, right? Literally two days after I turned 20, um, it, it kind of fit like a glove for me. I love that I wasn't doing the same things every day. I was getting to interact with people. I, I have this like, real hunger to try to learn as much as possible and roofing is really unique that when you're a roofing project consultant or a roof expert or a roof advisor whatever the term may be for the sales reps you learn so many different things in order to be effective at your job you have to learn production how the how the job actually needs to be put on how the roof needs to be put on you have to learn the ins and outs of the insurance industry not just how to work with adjusters how to supplement insurance claims but how to work with insurance agents as well so that you can build good partnerships and referral relationships there. You have to learn how to work with realtors and understand kind of what the trade-offs on doing the roofing and the construction projects are as far as concessions go, um, what the real benefit to realtors could be. And then you have to learn how to talk, which seems really simple on its face because most people, I feel, believe that sales is just talking. And I think that's one of the greatest misunderstandings of uh, the profession. I look at it a lot like a like a trade, like an electrician in a lot of contexts, except there's no school for us. If you were to talk to an electrician, they didn't learn how to wire every single thing up that they were going to go and do. They learned principles and techniques, and they apply those principles and techniques to every project they do. Sales and communication, I feel, is exactly like that. Um, but that's a little bit why I've went into the roofing industry. What was the question again? I'm sorry, I kind of yeah, just, a little, I, I went a little no, bit off uh, there. Well, he's it, he's going in the direction that I'm most interested in. It's like okay, so you had the courage to start your own company, right? So you got the sales down. Let's just assume you've got a really good handle on the sales because you've got some accolades there when it comes to sales. You did really really well, but running building a company completely different ball game than just doing sales. Although sales is like the number one thing, Kirby. I mean, you got to sell, right? You got to sell what it is you're doing, but there's other pieces that come with it, like your crew, your connections to suppliers, 
um, you know, having the bankroll to be able to do that and make sure that that's done. So let's get into some of that. Where did you start when it came to actually building the nuts and bolts of your company? Step one is you you need to make sure you're insured and you've got all of your licensing take care of. Um, so in Texas, there is no state license to be a roofing contractor. There is a license, however, to be a roofing contractor in San Antonio. So you want to get your San Antonio license so that you can do work here in and around the city. In addition to that, you've got to make sure you've got your workman's comp and your general liability insurance because, God forbid, anything is to happen on a project. You want to make sure your homeowners are protected. So those would be the first two steps. Um, after that, I really went big into making sure that our digital presence was there, You know, setting up your website, making sure your Google My Business page is put together. Um, and then for me, it was directly into let's generate business. I have a very commit first, figure it out later mindset to most things that I do. <laughs> Um, so once I had the digital footprint so that if people saw my card on their door after I went out and direct marketed, door knocked a little bit, um, if they looked me up, they could find us online. That was really important to me. And then it was go sell a job. Once we got our first job sold, I have fortunately had relationships with crews. One little secret about the roofing industry as a whole is 90% of us all subcontract from the same five subcontractors in San Antonio because they do fantastic work. Um, luckily, I had a relationship with those crews already. So as a matter of bringing them on, going through the onboarding process, verifying insurance, and then uh, setting up SOPs. Okay, but let me dig in a little bit yes, sir. on the crews. Okay, so it, because crews will prioritize you, right, uh, according to maybe relationship, also money, whatever the, the pieces are. I don't know that world as well as you do, but if somebody is looking to say, okay, I'm going to use these five companies that are going to provide crews for me, tell me... How does that work? Give me the nuts and bolts of that part. I'm super interested in it because that's the that's the lifeblood of what it is you're doing is you have to provide the service and it has to be quality, insured, warrantied, all of that stuff, right? But start with a cruise. Great question. So with the cruise specifically, everybody's experience may be a little different than mine. Having worked in the industry for three and a half years before starting Trident, I had these relationships already built with the crew leaders from my previous positions. That was very fortunate for me. I would say if you didn't have those relationships and you're trying to start a roofing company from scratch, a really good way to meet these people is go to your supply houses, which are like SRS here in the region, Elite Service, ABC, Beacon, these four supply houses supply a lot of our material. You will meet people there that can connect you to the reputable crews. And then it's a matter of doing your due diligence to verify that they do reputable work. So a way you can do that is you can go and visit a job site for another company that that crew may be doing just to see how their safety procedures are, how their crew works, kind of get an idea of how that works. But another big thing is just doing your own due diligence as a business owner and putting very crystal clear SOPs together so that if something is not done right, you can point back to it. But two, there's a clear expectation for both parties on what should be delivered. Well, you have to be able to catch that too, right? And there's so recognizing that's not the way that's supposed to be doing job site inspections and so forth. Are you the person doing that or do you have somebody in place to do that that's maybe separate from your crews? Currently, it's me because okay. um, we're still a startup company. I have sales reps. They're the one of the most important pieces of my business, I feel. So that's the first direction we went in recruiting. I can definitely do the production and operations side. So I do all the final walk arounds. But as far as how we're going to build that up, to me, it's recruiting somebody that knows way more about production than me. I'm humble enough to admit that I don't know everything. I'm not the best at everything. My background is in sales, as we alluded to earlier. That's what I'm the best at. Hands down, I want to take ownership of everything in that, and I need to hire people way smarter than me to run operations and do HR stuff and do production stuff. 
The good news is, from my previous experience, I've also managed hundreds of jobs and roofs being put onto completion, so I do know the ins and outs of that. There's also tons of literature that the manufacturers provide to you as far as what the exact install procedures have to be in order for you to get manufacturer warranties on. So we do follow a consistent checklist of things. A lot of the manufacturers have the same process of due diligence that we kind of have to make sure the starter goes on a certain way, have to make sure the felt goes on a certain way, make sure the shingle gets nailed a certain way things like that. And we do monitor that throughout the process from start to finish. Somebody is on the job site. And then we do a final qual check at the end. Do yeah, you guys I do like the pictures and stuff like that too as you build the jobs out? Yes, sir. We take a lot of pictures for multiple purposes. One, it brings customer peace of mind. We want to definitely make sure they can see that process. They can see we replace decking if decking had to be replaced. They can see we put the ice and water shield where we said we were going to put it. Things like that to have just better customer satisfaction at the end of the day. But two, it also just acts for our documentation because we got a warranty of the roof, so we want to make sure that everything is done 100% correctly. Yeah, I would challenge you a little bit, Mark, because uh, the actual work of putting on a roof has a certain commonality to it. Now, there's a spectrum of how somebody's going to do it in more of a shoddy way as opposed to an excellent way, and I know you're very focused on achieving absolutely the best result. But for this organization in, in an industry where there are many competitors, mm -hmm. it's really about how you sell, the customer journey, um, and then uh, post-installation uh, experience that that customer has. So tell us a little bit about how you have framed that experience and kind of why you're a little bit different than uh, some of the other roofing companies. I'm so happy you asked me that question. So. How we're a little bit different is one, we're leveraging technology to try to make the buying process easier. We want to change the way that roofs are bought instead of it being a full four-hour event where you've got to talk to your roofer here, then you've got to meet with the adjuster and do all of these processes. We want to try to streamline as much with technology. So we're in the process of doing that right now. The other give, thing that give we Give us do, an example of that. That sounds very interesting. So what we want to be able to do is ideally you could go to the website and get a instant roof quote and all we have to do to show up is just confirm measurements and confirm little roof details here and there so that the process is much shorter and a lot easier for the average consumer because I find that if you guys are anything like me we've probably bought something off of Amazon in the last week that's that continues to ramp Very up possible. week by week Very year by possible. year right so it's a matter of trying to figure out in this digital world where can the roofing space fit so that's a big effort of Trident is try to digitalize this and make it a little bit more streamlined for the customer. Uh, we use AI to increase our communication through the whole process uh, to make sure you're getting constant updates. But then when it comes down to our inspection, we do that different too. So our inspection process, a lot of roof, I would say 80% of roofers in the market are going to go out, jump on your roof, be up there for 10 minutes, come down, give you a piece of paper with an estimate and a price, and they're done. I would say the other 20% are somewhere in the realm of what we do. We all do something a little bit different. What we do different is we use a lot of technology. So like moisture meters, microscopes, endoscope cameras, things like that to really build out a fully detailed damage report so that the homeowner can completely understand what problems they have. Whether like an example is hail damage. Hail damage from a normal photo does not look like a big issue. So we use a microscope to put that over the hail damage so you can see the fracture in the asphalt. So you can see how this hole will erode away and create leaks in the future. Um, we do a lot of repairs too. So repair work is difficult in nature to really source because a pin size hole could create a leak. So we use moisture meters to try to figure out exactly where the leaks are coming from. We use endoscope cameras to get back behind flashing and things to take pictures of rotted decking so you can see exactly what we're trying to diagnose. And then from there, we're able to have a more 
informative discussion with our homeowners on exactly what our approach is to fix the problem. And uh, that just helps us carry through with our customer satisfaction at the end. So if the customer, do they get to keep all of that information? Because that's pretty thorough. Can they use it to go shop? Are you just giving it to them? Yeah, so they can use it to go shop. That's completely fine with us. Our approach is... It's a customer-first approach. We want to do the right thing for customers. Of course, we want to earn everybody's business when we go out there. And we truly believe as an organization that if you're doing the right thing for people, it usually works out in your favor most of the time. So on our, when we do all of that digital analysis or when we do all of that inspection, we put it into a photo report. It is attached to every proposal we do. And the reason we do that is because we may talk for an hour if you have a lot of questions. We may talk for two hours if you have a lot of questions. We do want to streamline it to make it shorter, but... Ultimately, our job is to be there and educate and help you make the right decision. So throughout the course of that long conversation, it's very possible you're going to forget much of what we talked about, especially since roofing issues are something that most homeowners deal with once every 20 years or so, especially when it comes to replacement. Most most people will only replace their roof once or twice their entire lifetime. So a lot of this is new to them. A lot of this is first-time information. So we want to make sure they have all of that documented in our inspection report, in our photo report, and it's all attached to our estimate, so they can reference back what we're exactly estimating. So you made an interesting point, Caleb, because some people have never replaced their roof, and they don't know what to expect. And I'm interested that you're using technology at the point of where the consumer is the least certain. Is that working for you? Is, is that what you feel like the market is demanding of you, a more streamlined experience at the, at, the, at the start? So what we found is a lot of people have this hesitancy to having roofers come out when they're price shopping. So by d- solving the price shopping need up front, our company can collect your information, call and confirm if you'd like us to come out and verify and confirm that estimate. And that's when we're able to sit down and really do the education process. It's just a matter of getting people answering that question that many people have up front around what what is this going to cost me? Yeah, I noticed that Clarissa over here was like, yeah. You know, I mean, when you talked about having roofers come out because, you know, it, we're being sold something and, and everybody doesn't at least, you know, people that I'm around don't like to be sold. We like to buy. Right, which is why we like Amazon so much. Nobody's selling us on that. Um, so interesting point, and I think that insight is keen and it shows maturity in what you're doing as well. So, but piggybacking on that, if people are vetting roofing contractors, what kind of questions should they be asking? So I would say, before I jump into questions, there's some real easy due diligence that every homeowner can do before the roofer even comes out to know if it's going to be a reputable company. One, check their reviews on Google. I mean, that's a third-party source. You're able to kind of see where they're at. If they're a newer company, they may not have a lot of reviews. Look at how detailed the reviews they have. Don't be, don't be hesitant to give them an opportunity, but still check the reviews. I think it's an important part of it. Uh, check BBB. That's another good spice, space to really know if they're verified. But when it comes to asking your contractor... This industry is a very high turnover industry. I actually had this conversation with a homeowner earlier this uh, weekend. It's a high turnover industry. The guy who goes out to your roof, it's, there's an entire possibility that guy could have been doing it for five years or five months. So maybe ask what his individual experience is. That helps a lot to understand if they're telling you the truth. And, and just because they're new doesn't mean they could be bad. It just means they may not be as experienced to answer every question you have. So asking about their personal experience, I think, is big. Um, also... How are they going to protect your home? What are the warranties? What manufacturer do they use? Are they giving a manufacturer warranty and a company warranty? Those are really good questions to ask. Um, if you're using the insurance process, 
ask what their experience working with insurance companies is because it is a very complicated process. It's not as easy as a car process would be where they cut you one check. There's a there's two check process. There's supplementing. There's a whole lot that goes into it. Um, so to make a long answer shorter, ask about the rep's experience. Uh, look at the company's Google reviews. Oh, sorry, I, I skipped over this. Make sure they have insurance and they are licensed in the city that you live in. And then uh, four... Sorry, I brain farted on you guys. Um, but make sure they're insured, they're licensed, uh, and how long they've been in business can be great. I'm a newer company, so that may be shooting myself in the foot, but how long have they been in business? I mean, the majority of contractors, they fail in the first two years. That is something to weigh on your mind, even if you're talking to me. Completely understand what industry I work in, but that's another good thing to kind of look at. Dig into the insurance piece a little bit. There's so much finesse and there's so much back and forth. Like you said, it's not a, you know, my car is damaged, uh, cut me a check. It's a lot of back and forth because insurance companies, just because of climate change, are getting a lot of uh, claims. Tell, tell us how you work with those insurance companies and the back and forth. And I'm sure as a consumer or a business that has a roof that needs repair, they have no idea what the back and forth and how hard, you know, you fight for them. So I want to preface all this with saying that as a contractor, we, no contractor can talk about policy with you about insurance. Um, in addition to that, I don't think insurance companies are trying to be the bad guy. And I don't think adjusters are trying to be the bad guy. But how this process works from start to finish, you call your adjuster. They're going to come out and look at the roof. Ideally, you want somebody on the roof with them. Whether it's a contractor, a public adjuster, somebody needs to be up there to act as your eyes and ears to help make sure that they're taking the photos of your case so that you get as much help as possible. The other thing you should know is it's paid out differently than most insurance claims. It's not a one-check process where you just get one check, less your deductible, and it's done. It's a two-check process. And what that means is when you initiate the claim, they're going to give you one check if it's approved, and it's usually going to be less than half of what the actual project is going to cost. And the reason they do that is because back in 2005 or so, they a major event like Hurricane Katrina happened. A lot of people used those funds for things that it wasn't necessarily intended for. I can't blame those people. Right. That was a catastrophe. Right. But business being business, the insurance made a pivot because they lost billions of dollars. Right. So that's why they have this two-check system now. In order to receive that final check, you have to show proof of payment of your deductible as well as a completion form and a final invoice. So that's a little bit confusing to people because they don't realize that they don't get all their money up front. So they're a little worried that they can even pay for the project. So it's up to kind of us as contractors to explain and walk them through that in some context because unless a homeowner picks up the phone and calls their insurance agents, adjusters don't usually do a great job of explaining it. Again, I don't think they're trying to be bad guys. I just think you have to look at every employee in every market as some people are really good at their jobs, some people are new at their jobs, some people are just collecting a paycheck. And that's the same with adjusters, unfortunately. Yeah, I think the key though, Caleb, is that when we have an experience with our roof, we don't know what to expect and we certainly don't know the details of working with an insurance company. So something you said earlier is the trust that you have with the person that's going to be working with the organization that's going to put on a new roof as well as uh, the external, the suppliers, the insurance companies, etc. You really got to trust somebody and that's really the key. So how do you build trust in terms of your sales process? You got about 30 seconds. 
Great question. So how I build trust in a 30-second quick go about it is we're incredibly informative. We try to deliver more value than we cost, um, and we explain that all by sitting down with our homeowners, answering every question they have, and being very detailed in our inspection process and exactly how we're going to fix their problem. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. All right, Caleb, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, you can look at me up on Instagram, TikTok. It's all Caleb, K-A-L-E-B, underscore, underscore, Parks, P-A-R-K-S. All right, awesome. Consistency and branding, I like that. Mm-hmm. All right, next up on the show is Clarissa Tejeda. She is, let me check my, I actually, coming in on short notice like you did was really, really cool. So Xavier, who you replaced, broke his arm, wasn't able to make it in. So he did a handoff there, and I had to update my notes. But anyway, Clarissa Tejeda, the Director of Employer Relations and Community Outreach at Texas A&M University, San Antonio. Clarissa, excited to have you and Obed here as well, which we'll get into that a little bit. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you do and what this program is, this scholarship that uh, I'm excited. I love the philosophy behind this. So Mm -hmm. tell me about it. So just a little history about Texas A&M San Antonio. We're only 15 years old as an institution, so we are young on the market. We are serviced in an area of San Antonio that historically has been underserved. So south of 90, red line was very much real. So a big Mm. mission of our university is to give back to the greater San Antonio community to uplift those around us. So ServPro, Xavier saw the vision where he really did want to celebrate our students in terms of their service. So he created a a scholarship opportunity with us in which a freshman will actually get recognized for their volunteer hours. You may think, why is volunteerism important? San Antonio is so rich in helping each other out, even the small business community, that service is truly transformational. Not only good for the heart, but also good in terms of career skills and development, but even economic impact. So if you look on a national average, one volunteer hour is $31 in terms of value. Our campus alone, when I pulled our report, was about $277,000 that we contributed to the San Antonio community. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's just one, just making sure that people are aware and also making sure our students are supported in that journey. So the center I'm based out of is called the Maze Center for Experiential Learning and Community Engagement. We were actually founded from the Mays Family Foundation, the largest gift for our university. And our call of mission is being a holistic spot for students to find their path, to find what that journey is, whether that's through internships, job shadow, volunteerism, because I will say a lot of us find our path through volunteerism. I was one of those. I was volunteer for two years awesome. at a youth center. Realized, hey, I can get paid for this gig. Now I can be a job coach. <laughs> nice deal. And it continued on my journey. So students will come to us and actually have those opportunities to connect with nonprofit, but even with the larger community. We even do income tax prep on our campus through VITA. And that's a volunteer wow. opportunity for even our accounting majors. Obed, I know, is going to be sharing some of his journey, but even he's done some volunteer hours for Youth Code Gem, which is giving right back to Early Talent Pipeline because that is a nonprofit that is trying to teach pretty much kiddos on how to code and how to have a place in tech. He is right there sharing his knowledge and actually providing mentorship. So it is a twofold and is really impactful. Again, SurfPro, we are so appreciative. He is our inaugural recipient. This is year one of the program. So it is a big deal. And the fact that business is celebrating that, 
we could not be happier. How does somebody qualify for this scholarship? So it is 120 hours of service in which they do need to document and they also do need to be a freshman classification. Now that was intentional because we want to make sure students are getting plugged in early because that's also a way for them to find their community and also kind of do an audit of what are things that they're interested in or how they can share their talents to the community. So Is that a student at the Texas A&M University San Antonio? It is. Okay, yeah. and they have to be a freshman? They do. Or at least a freshman? At least a freshman classified with us. So a freshman in terms of our hours is a one to 30 hours or so. So if they're a sophomore or junior, they would not qualify. No. So they have to get right in on it. Mm-hmm. So it's 120 hours. And then what is the scholarship? What's the reward for that? What is it a dollar amount? Is it, what is it? It is a dollar amount that will go directly back to the student. I don't have. So I don't have that number off the top That's of my okay. head. That's um, okay. But it goes directly back to the student. Again, just making sure that they can use what they need to do. Um, because we also want to recognize that what do they need to have that support? Does it where they want to use the monies for books or again for tuition costs, whatever it may be. So it goes right to the student. The student can choose what they want to do it with it. All right. Excellent. And just do you happen to know, I don't know, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, whether it would cover like a semester or a year or I believe it would cover part of a tuition for a semester. Okay. Um, our development offers would have more info. All right, awesome. And, of course, maybe when Obed comes on, we can uh, ask him if he knows what that amount has been. Clarissa, tell, tell us a little bit about why ServPro, Xavier in particular, has really embraced the university and this particular cause. I think it's interesting because most scholarships end up going to um, juniors and seniors. I love the fact that ServPro and Xavier have really focused on mm-hmm. that freshman. It's just the community presence. I mean, if you look at some of the work that Serve Pro is, they really do work with organizations and people at a really critical time in life. It's post-disaster, right? Cleanup, right? And that's a big thing. So really, it was the mission of the organization just to kind of embrace it and to make sure that we're recognizing. And I'm totally on board in terms of the early, because you're absolutely right. A lot of the scholarship and the recognition may be the upperclassmen. So the fact that they really honed in on that early talent Plus, it allowed us an opportunity to have those critical conversations with those upcoming seniors to let them know that that was also an award to continue their voluntary service hours with us. Yeah, absolutely. And just the notion of being able to stay in school yep. and to finish what you started yeah. is so very powerful, not only for students, but for each of us. And it's wonderful that the university is doing that. So if I'm a business owner, and it turns out I am, how, how can we help the university to continue to inspire uh, young young men and women? I think create opportunity. That is the biggest thing. So again, with my center, we are looking for all facets of engagement. So whether that is volunteering side by side with us with a service project, we actually do multiple service projects throughout the year. We even have a large scale service project called Pause Up because we are proud Jaguars. We do go. about 150 of our students will actually go out into the greater San Antonio community. If you want to volunteer with us, by all means, If you have an internship or even a job shadow, I think especially with entrepreneurship, those critical conversations so students know before they get to that stage, what is the reality of the situation, right? What are skills that they need to do? Do we need to offer mentorship is a big thing. So I really just open a line of communication. Um, We are always looking at a way to say, how do we even build your brand on campus and kind of even build a recruitment strategy on campus, Mm -hmm. whether that's even embedding in a class project We actually have a lot of our capstone and our marketing students who will do marketing-led initiatives for small business owners. Um, We even have an internship grant that we've worked with a number of small business and 
entrepreneurs and also our nonprofit partners who have an unpaid or underpaid internship, we provided funding for those opportunities because we didn't want that to be a barrier for the students because a lot of times those are the richest ones, right? They get to do a little bit of everything in a really cool space. Yeah, it seems like a real win-win for the students. They are engaged in an industry perhaps that they Mm -hmm. want to pursue for the business owner. They are getting to shape uh, an individual to support their team and figure out if they want to hire them upon graduation. And so I think it's a tremendous uh, win-win situation. Could you share some of experiences, SurfPro and others, on uh, what happens after somebody gets through the A&M program and how they end up being employed by those that have uh, 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 donated? Uh, not a problem. So in regard to the donations, um, I know one specifically, we've worked a lot with Disability SA, which is a local nonprofit. Right. They actually were a big partner for us in terms of doing a summer camp um, with some of our students. And it was one that it led to a one-time volunteerism. Then it led to an internship. And it actually had where eventually they had an actual gainful employment one with one of our December grads. Okay. Um, so now she is overseeing as a coordinator role, advancement, but also volunteer recruitment. And so she's now coming back and get, doing service projects That's with fabulous. our students. You know, I got to tell you, for any entrepreneur, having the ability to do a test drive with an individual to see what their character is about, to see what their work ethic is about, Mm -hmm. is so very valuable. You can't do that during the interview process. So to be able to have this experience and really know uh, who you want at the end. My son is about to graduate. He's got a college already, but he did his internship during the summer. And this this is fabulous for all entrepreneurs to reach out to the academic community. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful that A&M is doing that. I mean, even when you look back, we go back to the COVID years, right? We all remember that in terms of what happened to workforce in spring of 2020, everything shut down. Um, I want to give a lot of kudos to our Air Force civilian partners. Um, it actually was a parent that led this initiative that they opened the doors to an extern day. So we had about 40 students out there seeing what they had to offer. Mm. One of our students got into an internship, next summer interned. Well, COVID happened. Because of their internship, they knew that they had a job afterwards because of the exceptional work that they did. And it took one person to open that door. So really trying to find community-based champions because I will say San Antonio is pretty phenomenal. We're a major city, but we are so well connected. And I do want to give a shout out to my Leadership San Antonio Cohort 48, best class ever. We are missioned in the year of service is how does business and nonprofit and everybody come back together to uplift San Antonio as a whole. So just looking in your own community, you will find a way. Yeah. All right, as we, um, we're going to swap out with Obed, but while you guys are swapping chairs, I want to go over to uh, Caleb. So when it comes to nonprofit involvement, right, entrepreneurs, local businesses really should be looking for opportunities to do that. Um, are you, have you stretched into that area yet where you're getting so involved in So we haven't had a chance yet. I'm sorry to cut you off. So we haven't had a chance yet. It's a big part of what our company is founded on. The company name is Trident, and it's, it came from the idea of being good for the homeowners or property owners, good for the team, and good for the community. That's the idea of where the name came from. Love it. Love we it. want to do more community involvement. We're just still in the startup phase. I'm still trying to figure out all the ins and outs of my business before I can start to add how we're going to give back into it. Um, but I love what you guys are doing. Yeah, and I, I've got somebody I need to connect you with as well. That, you know, because, look, there's a lot of costs. There's a lot of you know, time and so forth. But uh, I think I've got a good connection for you where maybe you can start getting involved without having to overcommit 
in, in any one of those. So Obed, um, so um, Obed Valencia, correct? Yes. All right. So um, you're a freshman. Freshman. Okay. So how did you hear about the scholarship? And uh, tell me about getting involved in that. So on the university's website, there's a website called Scholarship Universe, and through Scholarship Universe, it just lists like thousands of scholarships oh. and I'm always researching different um, scholarships that I qualify and I saw that they had the pro serve scholarship and I qualified for it so it was something that I didn't think I was going to qualify for like I didn't think I was going to get it um, but I just took, took the initiative I applied for it I received congrats you got the scholarship mm -hmm. And Did you have to put in the time first, or do they select you and then you put in the time? How does that work? What do you mean? Like 120 hours of service that you have to be able to do. Oh, that you're okay. going to do. Did you already put that in before you applied? Yes. Okay, so where did you spend those hours, and how did you document all that anyway? Did you just keep track yourself, or did you have to turn it in somewhere? Mm, it was a little bit of both. Um, through my university, we do we have this website where it keeps track of how much time you do during like community service hours. Um, a few events that I've done is the low sensory jam for um, students who are like in their early teens who are really interested in doing um, things in tech. Um, there's so many people that I've met through that event. Um, apart from that, also um, I've done events such as like being a student panelist. I'm first generation, so I'm really reaching out to the south side of San Antonio. So you know, um, High schools such as East Central, they come to us and I really share my experience as being the first generation and the importance that it has on us. Um, but yeah, just different events and just getting myself out there. Um, that's how I qualify for that scholarship. Oh, Bed, it's amazing. First of all, congratulations. What a great honor and all that. I'm very curious about your journey. What is it that you want to accomplish and how will A&M prepare you for that? And what does the scholarship mean to you? Um, well, I'd say that like my mission statement is just to learn as much as I can. Um, I didn't think I was even gonna attend college just because the cost is pretty insane. It's thousands of dollars, um, but just, Things happen for a reason, and luckily I ended up in A&M San Antonio. And being there just really opened my eyes. Um, this scholarship means a lot for me. I'm majoring in computer science, and that's a pretty expensive career, like tech-wise. Um, currently, I don't have um, like a laptop, things like that, so I can exercise my career. So that scholarship would mean a lot when it comes to like finding a good laptop so I could you know ex do my co my college and my work but apart from that the college the scholarship just means a lot in how much it means to me it's a reward for my volunteer hours it's a reward for how much I've done for my community just a lot of experience that I've gained from it also but I'm super thankful to have received the scholarship yeah, I think from serve pros perspective, the ability to give 
a hand up to somebody with great aspirations and who's already giving back is such a moniker of the culture at SurfPro. And, and for you, Obed, the fact that you've given so much um, and you don't have a lot, but your giving of yourself is a lesson to every entrepreneur about how um, we do well when when we give somebody a hand up and i i just think it's wonderful um i know it's computer science but what's the ideal role for you once you graduate i know that's a couple of years away it is a couple of years away but currently i'm thinking of being somewhere in it um i've been developing my leadership roles i'm pretty active on school i'm the freshman senator for the student for government you. association good for you, good for you. Apart from that, I'm also in different um, organizations. I'm in Association of Computer Machinery. We just got back from an event at College Station. So I'm building up my leadership skills and I really wanna work in a position in tech where I can enforce them, I can exercise them. Um, I was thinking of possibly doing IT and being a project manager. That's something that really interests me, but that's still a couple years away. Sure. Anything can change my mind still developing. But as of now, that's what I want to meet, like, job-wise. Your mind might be developing, but your character is built. And uh, it's a lesson to all of us on how we all need to give back. Um, I think about your space and how there's just a dearth of talented young people like you and there isn't a business that needs somebody like you. So as an organization, the ability to um, help a young man like you who may not have taken this journey but now, because clearly you're grateful, you, you've, you've gone down this path. There's another great person out there that's going to help the business community. And I think that's very, very powerful. So yeah, It's a great way to build your education is by serving the community as well. I think it's a cool program uh, to require that as a part of the scholarship. So well done. All right. Well, uh, Obed, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, it was great to meet you and, uh, and good luck in your career and the rest of your college education. Yeah. All right, as we wrap up the show, quick reminder to check out our latest podcast, catch video versions of the show anytime by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. That's going to be it for this one. Good job, everybody. Thank you very much. You guys have a great week. Thank you. Good job. Thank you.